What does it mean to be fully alive? Is it being in the here and now? Is it moving without striving or living without hiding? The world would say it's pursuit of pleasure or the building of status in every endeavor. But we know because of the author and perfecter of our faith, to be fully alive is about being connected to the source, knowing who you are and whose you are. To have life and life more abundantly, we must be in lockstep with the one that gives life. From there, we ignite that match that spark from God that turns into flame, that flame that turns into fire, a fire that consumes everything it touches. It's unstoppable, uncontainable, undeniable, the mission we've been given to thrive, to burn so brightly that the world sees God in us. For the glory of God is man, fully alive. Oh, what's up, everybody? What's up, fam? Hey, uh, welcome back to the third week of Fully Alive. Let's take a second. Let's welcome our family there at Hamilton Mill. What's up, Hamilton Mill? Let's welcome our family in Midtown, uh, as well as around the world, Colombia, Spain, South Africa. What is up? Woo! Goodness gracious. Hey, uh, April 24th, 2011, uh, God showed up in my room and he spoke to me. April 24th, 2011, it was one of... Uh, or probably even the most sober, the most real, the most demarcating moment in my life because it was April 24th, 2011, that God seeded the dream inside my heart of now over 10 years later, he was speaking to me then about today, about where we are going as a church family. And then just in case you missed me tell the whole story in the first week of this series, what God basically was telling me in that moment, April 24th, 2011, was the Victory Church, us. We were gonna be a church of 100,000 people in our campuses, in our soon-to-come house churches, and that we were gonna be a church of 900,000 people in influence of, uh, of church plants, of churches that we're supporting, of missions, organizations, of us, of we going out and influencing the world around us for a sum total of a million souls impacted for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So I'm not sure if you heard me. God has called us to reach a million men, women, children, family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors with the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what he has called us to do. And in case you didn't hear me say it then, hear me say it today, Johnson cannot reach a million people. Just in case you, maybe your first time, I'm Johnson, okay. Johnson cannot reach a million people. At Hamilton Mill, Pastor Chris can't reach a million people. At Midtown, Pastor Mo can't reach a million people. At North Cobb, Pastor Darius can't reach a million people. But I'll tell you who can reach a million people. We can. We can reach a million people together because it's not just that I was made for something great. It's not just that you were made for something great. It's that we were made for something great. And this is the journey that God has us on together. This is the mission of God that we are about, that we would be the people who bow our knee to Jesus Christ, who have our sins forgiven, washed away, separated from us as far as the East is from the West, that we would be reconciled back to the Father through the Son, locking arms in fellowship with him, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go into this world, set on fire with a mission of God. What's the mission of God? To now be fruitful and multiply others who would bow their knee to Jesus, have their sins be forgiven, reconciled back to the Father, to have them be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go be fruitful and multiply others to depopulate hell, to populate heaven for the glory of God, to cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. And that is the most fulfilling journey that you could ever be about. And that's why St. Irenaeus said this so many years ago. He said, the glory of God is man fully alive. That when we are about God's work, God's way, it is the most thrilling, satisfying, peaceful, joy-filled journey that we could ever be on in life. And that's what we wanna be about. Come on, don't you wanna be fully alive? Come on, Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Jesus didn't come. Jesus didn't die and was raised again from death, took the keys of death and hell again. So you could go to church every seven days. This is part of it, but Jesus wants you to be fully alive. 
And that's the journey that we're on, okay? And so recently I was uh, reading back through John 17. John 17 is where we find Jesus's, what we call high priestly prayer. And this is the longest prayer we get from Jesus. It's right before he goes to the cross. And I have read this prayer literally hundreds of times because I think it's, there's so much here for us. Jesus even prays for you 2,000 years ago in this prayer, John 17. But Jesus says this statement that I've read this so many times, but I never saw it before. And I want us to use this to jump off from today. John 17, verse one through four. Here's what Jesus prays. He says, Father, the hour has come. Again, this is right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross. He says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him, Jesus, authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. I love it. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Then Jesus says, I have brought you, Father, glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Everybody say, finish the work. Finish the work. Jesus right here forever answers the question of how do we bring glory to God here on earth? We bring glory to God here on earth by finishing the work. Finish the work that he gave you to do. That's how we give glory to God here on earth. Then I looked at what Paul wrote about himself. Acts 20, verse 24, here's what he says. He says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. See, Paul knew what his work was. It was about ministering the grace of God to the nations, and he wanted his whole life to be pointed in that direction. Then I remembered what they wrote about King David, Acts 13, 36. It says, after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors. David finished the work. David finished the work that God had given him to do in his generation. Everybody say, finish the work. Finish the work. Here's the question. What was their work? Well, David's work was rescuing the nation of Israel, was bringing God back front and center in front of the whole nation. Paul's work was being a minister of the good news of Jesus Christ, specifically to the Gentiles, but to the nations. Jesus's was the ultimate work of laying down his life and taking it back up again, right? To rescue us all. And I want you to notice this. They all had different work, but it was the same result. It was God's glory and their joy. Come on, somebody. Y'all ain't with me yet. Y'all ain't with me yet. I'm gonna come over here and tell it to these guys. They all had different work, but it all led to the same result. God's glory and their joy. It's possible for us to all have a different work from God, but it's all pointing in at the same direction. The glory of God, the expansion of the kingdom, the salvation of souls being fruitful and multiplying in our own way for the glory of God and for our joy. Finish the work. And then I read what Paul wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy, 2 Timothy 4. He's writing to a young minister as a, as a spiritual father. And he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. In other words, Timothy, finish the work. That's the work that you're called to do, Timothy. We're all doing different work, but it's all pointing in the same direction, the glory of God and our joy. Timothy, finish the work. And guys, family, I'm here today to tell us this, the way that we are going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, is not by living a safe, passive, ordinary life. The way that we're gonna hear, well done, good and faithful one, is by finishing the work that God has given us in our generation. Finish the work, finish the work. Say it with me one more time. Come on, Hamilton Midtown. Finish the work. But here's what we have to understand, okay? Is that there are some obstacles in the way of finishing the work. There's some hurdles in the way of finishing the work. I wanna give you a handful of them. Here's the first hurdle in the way of finishing the work that God has given us. First one is consumer mentality, all right? This is probably the biggest problem in our country. 
is that this is the American culture. I know every, every country around the world ha- has its own culture. The culture in America is consumer mentality. We live in a Burger King, have it your way country, right? We live in it. It's my money and I want it now, right? That's, that's our culture. And the problem isn't that that's the culture out there. The problem is that the culture out there got in here. Come on, this, the problem is when the spirit of the age gets in the church, right? And that's what's happened. The, the consumer culture has infiltrated the church. And here's how I know that consumer culture has infiltrated the church because a vast majority of Christians who attend church contribute nothing. A vast majority of Christians live in their city, but contribute nothing. A vast majority of Christians live in their neighborhoods, but contribute nothing. We're consumers. And this is even what it looks like inside the church of the living God. Here's what it looks like, right? Is we we attend church and we tithe. And we kind of view our tithe as like, we're like buying a ticket, right? You know, because I paid for this. And what I'm doing, I'm buying a ticket to the show, right? I sit in my seat. There's a little bit of musical numbers uh, before the guy comes up and he gives a little speech, right? But I bought a ticket to the show with my tithe. And now I'm sitting in my seat to watch the professionals do all the ministry. And here, come on, since I bought a ticket, I'm in charge. Why? Because the customer's always right. And if I don't like the show this week, maybe I'll go to a different theater next week. Come on, if I don't like the service this week, I'll just go to a different church next week. If if I don't really feel like attending this week, I'll just stay at home. Why? Because I'm a consumer. Listen, I don't need to go on a mission trip because I already paid for a teenager to go on a mission trip. I don't need to minister in the church. Why? Because there's other people who can do that. And what happens is we outsource our Christianity. Come on, we pay others to do it for us. Hey, Pastor Mo, Pastor Stephen, and myself, we just got back from a civil rights tour in Alabama. We walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge there in Selma, the the site of Bloody Sunday. Here was my thought. I'm so glad John Lewis, Jesse Jackson, Dr. King didn't outsource to somebody else. No, I'll just give my money and somebody else can go be Jesus for me. And what it is, guys, it's part of this really broken thing called the clergy laity gap, right? And what it is, that's, that's the distance between the pulpit and the pew, between the pastor and the congregation, because we all know this, right? What I do is sacred and what you do is secular. What I do is important and what you do is unimportant, right? So you pay me to do it for you. And this is even how we get this thing called the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, where in every single church, everywhere, 20% of the congregation does 80% of the work. Why? Because it's just this really broken American culture, selfish culture, that has worked its way even inside the church of the living God. And if we're ever gonna finish the work that God has given us, we have to get over and get out of this thing called consumer mentality. Here, that's the first thing. Here's the second hurdle. The second hurdle is this thing called white evangelicalism. Now, some of y'all just got really excited because you're like, oh, give it to them, pastor. Give the white people, just give it to them. Just give it to them. Now, if you're white, I don't know if you notice, I'm white. Um, hang with me. Don't get stuck on the white part of this. What I'm talking about, white evangelicalism is basically, if I could say it like this, it's like the religion of our country is white evangelicalism. And here's the problem fundamentally with white evangelicalism. Most white churches in the country, which honestly translates into most white Christians in the country, most white churches in the country preach a small gospel, a very small gospel that makes the whole Bible about you. See, it's not that God so loved the world, God so loved me. It's not that God loves us, God loves me. The gospel begins and ends with me, right? I go to church to become a better American citizen. My faith is about me and Jesus. And listen, if my faith is only about me and Jesus, 
then any, come on somebody, you're gonna understand what I'm saying. If my faith is only about me and Jesus, anything else is politics. So if you start talking about justice issues and things like that, no, 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 just preach the gospel. Come on, because my understanding of the gospel is me and Jesus. It's very, very small. Right? I'm not concerned with the world around me because the gospel is only about me and Jesus. And here's what the enemy would love to do. The enemy would love to dismantle the church through the spirit of independence. The enemy would love to cripple the church of Jesus Christ through a small gospel. And what we have to remember, here's what we have to remember as the people of God, is that the ministry was never meant to just go to you. The ministry was meant to go through you to the world around you. And if we're ever gonna finish the work, we have to conquer and get over and get out of this thing called white evangelicalism. And here's the third hurdle that we have to get over. We have to get over purposeless living. This is, a, this is a huge issue. I, uh, recently, I was watching um, Shawshank Redemption, Redemption, rewatching that. We got any fans of Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. Okay, uh, not a family movie. Don't be like, hey, Pastor Johnson talked about it in church today. Let's, have, let's get the kids around the TV tonight. No, no. Great movie, intense movie, intense movie. Screen it first, okay? Um, but there's this moment where the old librarian, Brooks Hatlin, um, he's been incarcerated. He's been in prison basically his whole life, 50 years, 50 years on the dot. He was in prison and then they released him on parole. But he didn't really, he knew, he knew prison life, but he didn't know how to be on the outside. And so they kind of get him this little token job of bagging groceries, right? And so he bags groceries and then he just goes home and he sits in his little apartment. And he gets up the next morning, goes, bags, groceries, go home, sits in his apartment. He does that for a few weeks until he commits suicide because he knew what it was like to be locked up, but he didn't know what to do once he was set free. And I sat there with my eyes wide open and I said, that is exactly the same thing that we've done in Christianity. We've taken people to the cross, but we didn't take them to the empty tomb. Come on, somebody. There's, there's a whole generation of Christians, generations of Christians who knows what it's like. Their entire life is hugging onto the cross, just saying, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. If we weren't asking for forgiveness, we would have no relationship with Jesus. But here's what we have to understand. Three days later, the stone rolled away and Jesus resurrected back to newness of life. And that's even what water baptism about. Water baptism is about being buried with Jesus into his death and being raised to walk in newness of life. But there's so many of us who are still in the tank. <laughs> right? And so here's the deal. We know what we're safe from, but we don't know what we're safe for. We know what we're not supposed to do, but we don't know what we're supposed to do. Because nobody ever helped you to answer the now what question. Now what? What am I supposed to do, right? I know I'm not supposed to sin, but what should I use my hands for now? What should I use my life for now? Because we can't finish the work that God has given us if we don't even know that there is a work that God has given us. And so we're bored. We're detached. Our, our life moves in these seven-day cycles of just trying to come to church and try and be a good person, right? And we know, don't ever understand that there is a mission of God that he has called us to. There is a work that God has called you to. And your job, your life can actually be pointed in the direction of finishing the work that God has given you. You have a reason to exist. You have a reason to live. You have a reason that you're breathing right now. But guys, we're, we're living in this cultural moment of COVID and, and, and race rights and government issues and all that stuff. And what it's done, offense has creeped into, inside the church. Distractions have creeped inside the church. And so now there's this deep loop, lukewarmness. There's a cultural drift. The people who used to be really embedded, really involved in the life of the church have now drifted away. And so when you add purposelessness with, with lukewarmness, with visionlessness, with, with, with a loss of zeal, it explains why even Jesus says that the love of many will grow cold. And what we have to do is we have to get back on mission. We have to be about finishing the work that God has given us to do. If you're ever actually gonna be fully alive, 
That comes by putting one foot in front of the other and walking towards the mission that God has given you. And listen, there is a specific mission. There's a specific work that God has given you. And listen, we, here's the beauty of this. We have more Sundays together. So we don't have to answer it all today, okay? There is a specific work that God has called you to do. And one of the joys of life is, is walking out the discovery of that work, okay? But before there's a specific work that God has called you to do, there's a general work that God has called all of us to do, right? Because we all have different works, but all points in the same direction, what? Of being fruitful and multiplying, of pointing our life on mission, right? To walk with God, to be spirit empowered, to go make others who do likewise, right? And so what we have to do is we have to get back on that mission because that's what creates this fully alive life. So here's the question. How do we finish the work? that God has called us to do? How do we begin getting on this journey? Okay, here's the first thing I wanna say, is that to finish the work, the first thing we have to do is to say yes to ministry. We have to say yes to ministry. Now, I know some of you are like, wait a second. That's not what I came to church to hear. I came to hear point one, live your best life now, right? No, say yes to ministry. Now, I know that word ministry can be intimidating, all right, because it feels like full-time, like it feels like a guy with a microphone on the stage, like that's, that's all I know ministry to be. Let me demystify ministry for a second. The word minister comes from the word administer, okay? What does it mean to administer? To administer means to apply something, okay? So if you're administering medicine, what are you doing? You're applying healing to a wound. Okay, what is Ministry, what does it mean to minister? It means to see the needs in the world around you where God has placed you, and then to apply God's goodness and grace to those needs. That's what ministry is, both inside the church and outside the church. Don't confine it just inside these walls. It does happen here, but it also happens there, out there. What is ministry? Ministry is applying God's goodness and God's grace to the needs of the world around you. And this is something that we cannot outsource. Come on, you can't hire somebody else to do that for you, right? Why? First uh, Peter uh, 2 9, let me give you a few, few verses. First Peter 2 9, Peter says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter's talking about you. Peter's talking about you, Hamilton Mill. Peter's talking about you, Midtown. He's talking about the priesthood of all believers, that every single one of us is called to ministry. Listen, guys, we ain't Catholic. You don't need a priest to talk to God for you. You pray. You pray. Right? You, you, don't, you don't abdicate the responsibility of, of applying God's goodness and grace in your neighborhood, in your family. You don't, you don't abdicate that to missionaries. No, you do it. You don't sit back and attend the show here at church and watch the ministers do it, the professional ones do it, right? No, we do it. We minister. We all minister. This is what we're all called to do. Acts 2, what has happened in Acts 2? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. The, the, the believers in the upper room went out to, to preach. 3,000 people get saved. Here it is, Acts 2, 16, Peter's preaching, and he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on who? All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Listen, God did not say your prophets will prophesy and your deacons will see visions and your elders will dream dreams. He didn't say, hey, listen, guys, just for clarity, only the men can minister. Come on, somebody. He says, no, the men and women, young men and young women, boys, girls, come on, somebody, young men, old men, everywhere in between can minister. To all the ones who say women can't minister, I guess you've just never read the Bible. Because my God says that ministry is for everybody. It's for all of us. Well, then, pastor, I've got a question. If I tithe, and you get paid to be a pastor, and then I still have to do ministry. What's your job, Pastor Johnson? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked me that. 
Ephesians 4.11 talks about the fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. The reason why God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and the teachers is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Yes, I have a different role. Yes, I sit in a different seat. I sit in the seat of a pastor. But my ministry is to equip you for ministry. Why? Because we're all called to some ministry. We all have different works, but it all points in the same direction of the glory of God and our good. Here's the news, guys. When you became a Christian, you were called to full-time ministry. Well, like, uh, do I have to show up at the church for that? Like, do I punch a card? Like, do I get paid for this? Ministry is not a job. It's the calling of every Christian. Jesus says, follow me, and what? I will make you fishers of men. That goes for every single one of us. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are the ones who are few. Why? Because we don't understand that we're called to ministry. And what we have to do today is to say yes to ministry. We have to say yes to it. Listen, we don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to know, like, exactly what we're supposed to do. But what we have to start with is a yes to applying the goodness and the grace of God wherever we find ourselves. That's what it looks like. To just say, God, just put put it in my face today. And I say yes to it. I'm going to apply the goodness and the grace of God wherever I find myself. Summer and I, our, our, our lives have been defined by our yes. Listen, we didn't have it all figured out. Just put one foot in front of the other and say yes, because God's the one who opens up the doors that no man can shut, and he shuts the doors that no man can open. He's a good shepherd. He leads us in the path of righteousness for his namesake. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we just start moving forward, and we say yes. We say yes. And the first thing we have to do if we're going to finish the work is we have to say yes to ministry. Here's the second thing we have to do. We have to say yes to our God-given gifts. We say yes to ministry, and we say yes to our God-given gifts. And if you've never heard me say this before, allow me to say it to you for the very first time. I believe that you were made for something great. I believe that God put his image on the inside of you, that God put gifts and talents and abilities on the inside of you. That's not innate to you. It doesn't belong to you. It's placed there. It is the Imago Day on the inside of you. And what we're endeavoring to do is release what God put inside you into the world around you for his glory everywhere. And what we have to do, listen, what we have to do is we have to stop hiding our gifts. We have to stop being ashamed of our gifts and we have to stop lusting after other people's gifts. And we have to embrace our gifts that God has given us. Listen, it is, it is human nature. I struggle with this myself. It is human nature to want the gifts that other people have. But can we just make a corporate decision today across all of victory? Can we make this corporate decision? Is that we're going to drop it. We're going to drop trying to get other people's gifts. We're going to drop trying, stop trying to be like other people. And we're going to be who God created us to be. Because God made you absolutely unique. There is no one else on the face of this earth like you are, and that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And here's what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Y'all remember anatomy class? All right, here's Christian anatomy. Okay. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there's one body. Paul says that every single one of us is unique and absolutely essential. That your life and your gifts matter, right? You've you've never been thinking about your life and you're like, well, I don't know, kidneys, Eh, take it or leave it, (laughs) right? Because it's part of who you are. Every part of you has a function, right? You don't look at your foot and you're like, ah, you're not as important as a hand, forget you, chop, Right? No, because that makes you who you are. The different parts of your body, they all form together to form one body. Yes, they're individual, but they're actually you, right? Like you wouldn't say like, this isn't part of my body. This is only like 
like part, like this isn't my body. Like it's only part of my body. No, like this is me. And Paul's saying the same thing about the church. That when we're all together the body of Jesus Christ. That I need your gifts. You need my gifts to be in action, right? Because where I'm weak, you're strong. And where, where, where I'm strong, you're weak, right? We need each other. You need the person sitting next to you. You need the person over there. You need the person over there. Why? Because when we're functioning together, we become the full body. Some of you are eyes. Some of you are ears. Some of you are internal organs. Some of you are feet. Some of you are hands. Whatever that is. But when we come together, our different gifts form something beautiful. And think about it like this. What do you call a body where part of it isn't functioning? Handicapped, right? Can we say that the church today is handicapped? Because many of the body aren't actually using their gifts to fulfill their function inside the body. Some of you at home, even today, you're saying, ah, I don't need that. They don't need me. Yes, we do. We need you. We need you. The church needs you. The world around you needs you. Some of you are here, you're in the consumer mentality. Nah, man, God didn't make you to be a consumer. God made you to be a contributor. It's time to start using our gifts, right? You're, you're, you have gifts that I don't have, that other people in here don't have. There, there, there's a guy named Marcus Buckingham, and um, he's a secular researcher who's kind of devoted his life to, to, to strengths and weaknesses, to giftedness. And here's what he says. At the end of the day, here's what all the research says. It says that um, human nature wants to develop our weaknesses, right? We want to spend our time getting, getting strong where we're weak. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about giftedness, right? Um, and here's what all the research says. The research says if I pour uh, energy into my weaknesses trying to make them strong, then I can make them a little bit stronger. But here's the problem. He says your weaknesses are almost like rubber bands, where you're focusing on it, you can stretch it, you can make it a little bit better, but as soon as you stop focusing on it, it snaps back into place. And the thing that used to be just a little bit stronger is now just what it always was. But he said on the flip side, if you focus on your, on your strengths, it says you actually get an exponential return. You put in one, you get back 10, and that strength remains. It doesn't fade away. It actually remains. And what he, even a secular researcher, is actually saying is this, is that we are hardwired by God to lean into our strengths. We're hardwired by God to develop our strengths, to embrace our strengths, not to want what somebody else is gifted at. Can I, let me say it like this. I don't care how much you train, you will never beat Usain Bolt in a 100-meter dash. I don't care. You can train the rest of your life. You're not going to beat him. I don't, I don't care how much you try. You will never beat Lionel Messi at soccer. He'd be making a fool out of you all day long. But I'm going to guarantee you this. Some of you can outbake Usain Bolt. You can, you can bake a cake and blow him away. He can't do that, but you can. There, there are many of you who are way more kind than Lionel Messi. There are way more of you who are more hospitable than Johnson Bowie. Why? Because that's the gift that God put on the inside of you. So stop trying to be somebody else. Embrace who God made you to be. Like what, uh, let's role play it. Uh, imagine uh, um, uh, you, you came up to, to me in the lobby today for those here in Norcross, and uh, you said, hey, Johnson, I hey, just gonna be honest, man. Like your sermons lately, I've just been watching. It feels like you're not prepared. Like it feels like you're not like trying. Like what, is there, what, what's the deal with that? And, and imagine if I was like, actually, you're right. Like, uh, don't tell anybody, but I, I've actually been training to race against Usain Bolt in the 100 meter. <laughs> You'd be like, bro, what are you doing? You know what you tell me? Johnson, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. You do you, embrace what you're good at, say yes to your gift, and trying to get, instead of trying to get somebody else's. I'm telling you the same thing today. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane because the world, the church, the people around you need your gift. Say yes to your gift. So the first thing is to finish the work, we have to say yes to ministry. The second thing is we have to say yes to our gifts. The third thing is, is we have to say yes to using my gifts for ministry. I have to say yes to ministry. I have to say yes to gifts. And then I have to say yes to using my gifts in ministry. Um, because so many of us, 
are, are, are in that purposeless space where we're not really trying to be about finishing the work. We didn't even know there was a work to finish. Many of us are just kind of doing our job and we're trying to make money so that others can do the ministry. That, that, that's the idea. And let me just say this. You can use money to advance the kingdom. So there are some of you today who you are using your gifts, your God-given gifts in the business sphere, right? In the workplace. And it's thriving. It's giving God glory. It's giving you joy. You're doing ministry with that. And you're making a ton of money doing it. That's the sweet spot of life, doing what God loves to do that you love to, and you're taking that money. It's for your good. It's for God's glory. You're furthering ministry. It's fantastic. If that's you, keep doing it. Press the throttle down more. Lean into it. But here's the reality. That's not true for most of us, right? Most of us are like, eh, eh, eh. Monday morning, we're like, oh, God, again. Oh, I got to do it again. God, time to go make the donuts, all right? You know, I got to... Get in traffic, drive down to a job I hate with the boss I put up with just to make a, a paycheck to hopefully the break even at the end of the month, right? And we're just kind of limping through life instead of finishing the work that God has called us to do. And here's the question. What if we actually used our God-given gifts to apply God's goodness and grace to the world around us? Now, listen to me. Listen very clearly. I'm not telling you to quit your job. So don't, like, go home today and be like, well, honey, um, Pastor Johnson told me I should quit my job. Now, I don't have a backup plan. I'm just, just going to do it. Just trust the Lord. Uh, one step at a time. Baby steps. Baby steps. Okay? Uh, at least wait until next Sunday. We're going to give you another step next Sunday. So just at least wait seven days. Okay? If God's telling you to quit your job, man, go for it. But just, just wisdom in the multitude of counselors. All right? Let's... Baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. But here's what I am saying for all of us. You can use your God-given gifts to apply God's goodness and grace in your current job. You can do it. You can do it. And it's fantastic when you begin doing it. Because I know I, I've heard some of your stories, and I've heard the story of transformation, of you walking into a job that you absolutely hated. You're just doing it for a paycheck, right? And you're going home, you're just dreading the whole thing. But then when you actually get a ministry mindset, and you find that space at work where you can actually, instead of viewing work as the place where I get a paycheck, I'm actually viewing my workplace as my ministry field, my mission field. And I'm showing up every single morning or every single afternoon, whatever it is, and I'm viewing these people as people who are made in the image of God, who are hungry and dirty and dying and longing for something bigger. And now I can actually use my unique gifts and skill set, my personality, my gifts, talents, abilities, whatever that is in my own unique way, I can use that to meet those needs with God's goodness and God's grace in my own unique way. And when that happens, you want to talk about being fully alive. Listen, you're, you're actually smiling when you're thinking about going in because now you're sitting next to Bob who's always grumpy. You're just trying to ignore him. Like, oh, God, he's going to start talking to me again about his wife. <laughs> now you're actually showing up with the kingdom because wherever you go, the kingdom is at hand. And you can be a carrier of the good news, right? And we, we, we can minister. We can apply God's goodness and grace, right, in our families. Today, you can go home. You might be the only believer in your family, but you can go home now with a mission to finish the work, right? Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your neighbors. Don't give up on your coworkers. Now I can go in and use my unique way of doing it, that God made me to do it, right, to go in on mission to finish the work. And through that process, I guarantee you, you'll start coming fully alive. Because there is a way to use your unique gifts in a way that brings God glory and it's for your good. Right? Because remember, it's not that what I do is sacred and what you do is secular. Everything we, can, everything we do can be sacred. Everything we do can be sacred. I don't care if you never get a microphone on a platform. That might not be your gift. But I can guarantee you, you can reach people that I can never reach. You can go into your workplace. I can't come to your house this week. I can't come to your workplace this week. I can't be in your neighborhood this week, but you can. You can. Let me ask you this question. Do you know who the first person is in the Bible that the Bible declares as being full of the Holy Spirit? Is it Adam? Noah? Moses? 
King David? Who's the first person that the Bible says is full of the Holy Spirit? It's in Exodus 31. You can look it up later. The first person in the entire Bible who God says is full of the Holy Spirit, his name is Bazalel. You know Bazalel, right? <laughs> Old Bazzy. When I heard a hundred sermons about Bazzy in my life. Old Bazalel. Come on, come on, go with me. Bazalel was not a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a king. You know what Bazalel was? He was an artist. I cannot tell you how important this is. The first person in the entire Bible who was full of the Holy Spirit was not a pastor. He was an artist. I need you to get this. The world world needs you to get this. That your mission is not something that you hire somebody else to do. Your mission is for you to do. And you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to go into your sphere. Whether you're an artist, whether you're in the workplace, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're in the music industry. Guys, we need spirit-filled, empowered people, gifted people in ministry, doing ministry in the politics. Wherever you find yourself, Use your gifts to do ministry. It's not just for the elders. It's not just for the prophets, the priests. Not for the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. It doesn't start there. It's no, 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 no. It starts with where you are. That God wants to kiss you with the Holy Spirit. To throw jet fuel on your gifts. To use those things for his glory. To apply God's goodness and grace wherever you find yourself. And we're going to develop this more as the weeks go forward. But it begins in this place of saying, I'm just going to start taking some steps in this direction. And here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, God, show me the gap. Show me the gap. Show me the need in the world around me, whether it's in my workplace, whether it's in the church. Show me where there's a need. Show me where I can use my God-given gifts in my family, in my workplace, in the church wherever I may find myself, for your glory and for my good. I'll close with this, this, this quote. Frederick Buchner says this. He said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. Because listen, when you're using your gifts, you come fully alive. It causes this deep gladness inside your soul. But God's also going to show you where there's a deep need where your deep gifts can meet that deep need for his glory and for your joy. And here's what we're committing to do to you as as the church, okay, as the pastors around here. We're committing to day by day and week by week and month by month to begin releasing more and more ministry into your hands. In fact, we're saying this around here, that that this year is the year that that, that we're putting ministry into the hands of the church. Real significant trusting, um, empowering, kingdom-like ministry into your hands. As we say yes to ministry, as we say yes to our gifts, as we say yes to using our gifts in ministry. And here's what I love. This is already happening in our midst, right? You know, we've talked about it that last year, um, late last year, we had a marriage conference up at Hamilton Mill that was 100% led by volunteer leaders, 100%. There was not one paid pastor who stepped on that platform. Why? Because we're all called to the work of the ministry, right? It, it, late in the fall, we had a men's conference uh, here on, on site in Norcross. But better than that, way better than that, um, it was also hosted by hundreds of men in over 40 host homes, um, uh, host gym, host restaurant, other areas around the country and around the world. And through that, listen, through that, men got saved. Men got saved not in the church, Why? Because there are men, there are women and children, but for this, there were men who said, I will never darken the door of a church, but I will go to my friend's house. And as men stood up and said, I will use what gifts I have for God's glory 
and for my joy to apply God's goodness and grace to the world around me. I'll open up my home and I'll bring people in. And I'll tell you this, we did a debrief after. And the, thing, the, best, the best thing I heard of, of this whole thing, when we asked like, hey, what were the wins? What were the takeaways? Is that the most excited people in the whole process, you know who they were? The wives. Because <laughs> they had never seen their husband that excited about the things of God. Why? Because these men were starting to use their gifts for God's glory, which produced their joy as they started coming fully alive. Come on. When the people of God use their God-given gifts to serve the world around them, that's how we start coming fully alive, and that's how we start putting one foot in front of the other to finish the work. So where does it begin? It begins today. Here's where it really begins. It begins by saying yes. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to, oh, what, what's my work? Ah, come on, just put one foot in front of the other. Guys, there's a thing called paralysis by analysis, right, where a lot of us are waiting on God, and God's like, hey, guys, I got news. I'm waiting on you, right? Just start putting one foot in front of the other, and I'll lead you, and I'll guide you as you move forward, right? But what God is asking for today is your yes. If you remember Isaiah, right, Isaiah in Isaiah 6, he's called up to the throne room. He finds himself in the presence of God, and God's kind of teasing him. And he's like, I don't know, angels, who should we send? I don't know, who will go for us? And Isaiah's like donkey and Shrek. Y'all remember that? Like, ooh, 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 ooh. He's like, pick me, pick me, pick me. He's like, send me, send me. If you gotta pick somebody, send me, send me, send me. That's where we need to be at today. They say, God, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know exactly what I'm gonna do, but there is a yes in my heart. Send me. Send me. Wherever it may be, I'm just telling God today, I have a yes for it. I have a yes for it. So let's do this. Let's take our yes to the Father. Let's do this across all of our campuses. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. God, today, right now, we say yes. We say yes. We don't know what it looks like. We don't have it all figured out. Some of us do. Some of us, uh, we're, we're talking to other people already today, and I'm hearing, like, I know what God's called me to do. I've just been hiding from it. I've been like Jonah. I've been running from it. But today, I say yes to it. Because, listen, for some of us, it's a scary thing. For some of us, it's, it's small steps, though. But whatever it is, God, today, we say yes. And what I'm really encouraged by, guys, is this, is that... This God dream that God has given this house, I believe that there's a reason why you're here. I believe that there's a reason why every single one of us is part of this house in this season right now. That, that maybe God is calling you to be a part of influencing 100,000 people as part of, of being in the house, to be a part of being victory. Fantastic. There's space for that. There's a place for that. Maybe God is speaking to you about being a part of influencing towards the 900,000 outside of this place. Maybe God's calling you to full-time missions in another country. Or maybe God's calling you to purposeful living and starting groups or maybe one day planning a church or whatever that is. Fantastic. There's a space for that. There's a place for that. But here's what I know, Father. I know that we aren't going to do this by ourselves. We're going to do it together. So today, we say yes. God, we say yes to the gifts you've placed on the inside of us. God, some of us, we, we, we can see it or, or just see a little glimpse of some of the things we're good at. God, I pray that you would speak to us about what our gifts are so we can lean into those things more and develop those gifts even more. God, we say yes to ministry. God, I pray that just, just wipe away any intimidation on this idea of ministry. Ministry, we're, we're administering, we're applying your goodness and grace to the needs of the world around us. We say yes to it. And specifically, we say yes to using our gifts in ministry. Father, because we want to hear well done. God, we want to finish the work. So we say yes. We say yes. But here's what I know. Before we can say yes to mission, before we can say yes to where we're, we need to go, we first have to say yes to Jesus, which means saying no to ourselves. And so some of us today, God is calling us in to this big yes. Because here's what happens right now. Without Christ, we are just dry bones. But 
God wants to put our lives back together. <laughs> Forgive our sins, reconnect us back to the Father through the Son, and then send us out on mission into this world to live fully alive, to finish the work. But it begins with a yes to Jesus. And so here's the deal. Here in Norcross, at Hamilton Mill, at Midtown, if today you need to say yes to Jesus, I want you to lift up your hand. So that's me today. Today I say yes to Jesus. I say no to myself and I say yes to Jesus. Come on, lift it high. Lift it high. Come on. This is the biggest decision, best decision you ever make in your entire life. It's fantastic. Praise God. It's so good. I want you to put your hands down, but, but, but keep your spirit up even though your hand's down. And I want us to do this. I want us to pray together, okay? But this isn't just words. This is our heart coming out in words. And family of God around you, we're, we're all going to pray this together. Let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, you are the son of God who died for my sin and you rose again. Jesus is alive. So I want to live too. So today I repent of my sin, of my way. And I say yes to Jesus and no to myself. Today I proclaim Jesus Christ is my king and my savior that I am forgiven, I am free because of Jesus. Today, God is my father and I'm his child and I will spend the rest of my life on mission. God, make me be fully alive in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's, let's celebrate everybody who came to Christ today. Let's lift our hands up to the Lord. God, right now, I thank you for the work that you're doing in this house. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts. And right now, we surrender ourselves to you. God, all of our selfishness, our consumer mentality, God, our, 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 just, just the, the religion of the land. God, the purposeless living. God, we surrender it to you. And God, I pray that you would get the church here in America and in the nations of the world. God, that you would get us back on mission. In Jesus' name, because the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So God, I pray that you would begin to break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, that you would set us ablaze for the message of Jesus Christ. Our friends need it. Our neighbors need it. Our coworkers need it. Our own homes need it. God, and we're all about to scatter. Right now we're gathered, but we're all about to scatter back out into this world. And God, I pray that we would not sink back into lukewarmness. We wouldn't sink back into consumer mentality. But God, we would go out of here set ablaze with passion being fully alive, back on mission to finish the work that you have given us. All for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.